0: You are listening to an audio message from The Well, a church in Hastings, Nebraska that seeks to be relevant, relational, and real. For more information, visit www.TheWellHastings.com. Hey, good morning, everybody. I'm glad to have you here. Welcome to The Well. Welcome to The Well. What do you guys, how do you guys feel about the new setup? We move tables and chairs around, gives you guys the opportunity to take some notes Yeah, it's not too bad. I kind of like it. It Reminds me of the church we helped to plant in Crete. So A little bit of flavor from Crete coming here. And for our visitors from Crete, that's probably good. (coughs) Would you uh, just bow with me in prayer real fast? I'm going to pray over the text this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for for James and for his heart for your people and his heart for you. Lord God, pray God that uh, you would take the Meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth this morning, God, and that You would challenge Your people, challenge Your church, God, and that that I would be faithful to the prompting of Your Spirit as I work through the text this morning. Lord, I pray, uh, God, that You would raise up a church that is obedient to Your Word and that that does what we hear, Lord God, as we dig into the Scriptures and we hear. What you would say to us through the Word, God? I pray that you would, that you would prompt our hearts, that you would, that you would bring to mind the ways that you would challenge and change us, Lord. That we would not just be dead people sitting in the seats, listening intently, and then leaving and having no change whatsoever in our lives. God, I pray that that would not be us. I pray, Father, that you would pour out your spirit into our midst, God, and that you would change us and that our, our lifestyle would be proof of the work that you're doing in our hearts, Lord God. God, I cry out to you this morning, and I ask you, Father, to, to infuse your spirit in our midst this morning. God, that we would not just be idle listeners, Lord God, that we would be obedient to your word. We bless you this morning. Jesus' name. Everybody said. Amen. Amen. So uh, growing up, if you knew me when I was younger, some of you did, some of you didn't. If you knew me when I was growing up, I had issues with my ears. If you talked to my wife, she would tell you I still have issues with my ears. I had issues I couldn't hear very well. I couldn't hear. And so people would have to repeat themselves often. And if any of you have ever had to repeat yourself to me, you know I still have issues when it comes to my ears. Luke, my friend Luke, and I can, we can connect in this area in terms of being able to hear. And so I had, what I had was I had multiple inner ear infections that took place. Uh, the inside, deep down inside of my eardrum would become infected. And so my mom would take me to uh, the ear, nose, and throat specialist so that they could take a look at the ears. I had multiple Uh, appointments I had multiple surgeries they would put tubes in my ears and and I had these drops I had to put in all the time and and I had I had a a ton of pain in my ears it it hurt it was it was hard I didn't get a lot of sleep during those seasons and and this this lasted for a number of years I I I know that when I was a baby that uh, that I that I had a lot of fevers and ear infections a lot of ear aches and pains that would take place and somewhere in the midst of all of this ear stuff my mom took me in to do a hearing test Has anybody here ever had a hearing test we're going in for a hearing test yeah and if you know i mean if you're sitting next to your spouse you're probably elbowing them like you need to go in right so i went in for multiple hearing tests and uh and here's what they do that they put you in a little box that's about the size of uh, of an outhouse okay about the size of an outhouse uh, so if you've ever worked on a construction site or you're driving down the street, you see one of those green outhouse-looking things. It's about that size. It's a little cubicle box. It's got, like, insulation and foam inside, okay, and there's a little door. You go in, you sit down, and there's a little window that you can look through. So you're seeing here in the little window, okay, and the door is shut. And, I mean, it's like it's totally dead inside that room okay, because of all the insulation. You, can he- you can't hear a thing. You can't hear a thing. Uh, outside of that room. And when you make a sound, it sounds a little weird because of all the deadness inside of the room. And so, so you're in this little cubicle, this little box, and, and they put a set of headphones on you, kind of like what Ty wears over here when he's playing the drums so that he can hear uh, his own monitor. And so they, they give you this set of earphones that you wear. <clears throat> and then through the glass window, you see the, the technician, okay, the tech or the doctor. I call him a technician. Okay, They've got the little white lab suits on, and they're sitting at a, 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 little, a little box. And on the little box is a series of buttons, and they're going to get ready to hit these buttons. And what's going to happen is, as they hit the buttons, and you're inside the box, inside of your headphones, you're going to hear little noises. Okay? You're going to hear like a low humming sound, or, or a loud beep, or a click. And you're going to hear it in this ear, and maybe you're going to hear it in this ear. <coughs> and the whole idea is, is before they put you in the box, the technician stops with you and he says, "Listen, I'm gonna put you in the box, <laughs> and, and 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 you put the headphones on. When you hear something in your left ear, I want you to do something. Okay, I want you to raise your left hand. <laughs> pretty easy, right? Everybody's like, pretty simple. I mean, if you can hear the noise, if you can hear the sound, in your left ear. Raise your left hand, okay? Now, the opposite is also, I mean, it's also true on the other side. It may be a little bit more difficult, but if you hear something in your right ear, you should raise your right. See, you guys are catching on, okay? You're hearing and you're doing. See how easy this is? This is a piece of cake. So they would give us those instructions before putting us in the booth. And inevitably, I'm sitting there, like, shaking in my skin. I'm sweating. I'm like... Dude, I don't want to pass this test, right? I don't want to fail this thing. I don't want any. I don't know. I just, I don't know. What are they going to do? Like, I could cut my ears off and put new ears on me. I'm just a little kid. I'm like, I'm like six years old, right? I'm freaking out. Okay. I'm sitting there and I'm just, I mean, I hear these noises. Luke, you know exactly what I'm talking about, don't you? You. Be, I can see him. He's like, well, I need counseling now. <laughs> I know. So I, I'm sitting there, and I, I mean, I'm nervous, right? I'm thinking, I'm going to fail this test. They're going to they're gonna, you know, slice my ears out, give me new ones. And I, I, mean, I, I start hearing noises going off everywhere. Beam, bang, boom. I mean, just, I'm like, oh, I don't know what to do. <laughs> the technician comes in like, settle down, <laughs> settle down. Okay? I obviously didn't hear the instructions that they gave me. I wasn't listening. I wasn't paying attention. I certainly wasn't following through doing what they'd asked me to do. Really simple left ear left arm right ear right arm and what they're testing is they're testing to see what decibels you can hear and so on and so forth Uh, you'll be happy to hear they didn't cut my ears off (laughs) Uh, there were a few surgeries that came out of it but the, the moral of the story is this and what i want you to remember is this that what you hear you need to do and that was what they were they were testing that day is if I had the ability to do what I had heard and what I had been instructed in doing. James wants us to hear this and do this. That's the whole underlying theme of where we're headed today in the text. He's arguing for a faith that is proven by works. He's not arguing for a dead faith that has no works proven. He's arguing for a faith that is proven by its works. He's saying, when you say you have faith, your lifestyle should match. When you say, I believe in the Son of the Most High God, when I believe that He died on the cross for my sins, when I characterize myself as Christian, He's saying, your actions, your lifestyle, the way that you live must match it. So He began in the last few weeks as we dug into the first uh, 18 verses, the first 18 verses of chapter 1, James began by talking about all of these tests that we would face. Exhorting us, challenging us to pass the test, not to fail. To dig in, to listen, to ask the Lord, to trust Him, to, to not give in to the temptation of sin. To live a lifestyle that is clean and holy and pure and is marked by holy and godly living. That's the way he challenged us in those first 18 verses. And now as we dig into verses 19 through 21, he says, listen to me. Hear this. He says, do what I ask or do this. Turn your attention to, to verse 19 with me. Verse 19 through 21, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. James is saying, hear this and commit this to memory, my loved ones, so that that you may never forget, but instead always know, always know, that your anger, your anger will not produce the rightness that God desires in you. He also says, please do this and make these actions a part of your daily lifestyle. So that you will be a hearer who does what is requested of him. Become a quick listener. Who is slow to speak. And a slowly angered person who puts away filthy and wicked living. By receiving the implanting of the word that can save your soul. God is speaking today. Through the text. Through James. Through what he said. God is speaking. And he's saying simply to you and to I, to to this church that is gathered together this morning. He is simply saying, be a good listener. Be a good listener because I am a good listener. The Lord hears everything that you say to him. He doesn't turn a deaf ear to those whom he loves. He is saying, don't be angry for I'm not a God of anger. I'm not a God of anger. He's saying, live a pure lifestyle because I am holy and pure. Your Father in heaven is a holy and pure God. And he would say to you and I, be holy as I am holy. Don't live in wicked, disgusting, immoral lifestyles. Live as I would ask you to live. Let your actions prove that you really are who you say you are. Don't live a double life. Don't live fake Don't come to church gatherings with your big smile on and you're you're pretending that my life is okay when all throughout the week you're living a lifestyle that is in the pit and near hell. Don't be a faker. Be an authentic Christian whose lifestyle and actions prove it. So, in verse 19, we see first that James says that people of faith must be Good listeners. Look back at verse 19 again. It says, James says, know this. He wants us to know this. Or another way of saying it would be to take note. You have pens and papers in front of you. He's saying, pick up your pen and take note. Know this. Understand this. Don't just say, yeah, 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 I got that. Really know it. Get it deep down in your bones. Really understand it. Simple illustration for you as I spent time with my mom who is, who is quickly heading downhill fast. She's in Good Samaritan Village over here now. This has been a a two-week process at this point of her dying from her cancer. It has spread from from her tongue and her lymph nodes and her neck and down into her lungs and her liver and and then into her spine and possibly slowly moving to her brain. And and there there have been days that have been up and days that have been down. And, and and I've remembered all these things about my mom as as I grew up. Uh, you know her her love for horses being the biggest. And one of the things that really surprised me was as we began to take care of her horses, it's been it's been twenty years for me, probably. I'm guessing. You know, maybe not that long, but but close. I, my oldest daughter is seventeen. Seventeen years roughly since I have really been invested in. In understanding or working with horses. But I grew up with them. I grew up with my mom doing this. This is this was part of my lifestyle. This was inside my bones. And it's been 17 years since I was there. And when we got these horses back, I just snap. I just instantly went back into it. It's like riding a bicycle, never went away. That's what James is arguing for. He's saying, know this. Like you ride a bicycle. Understand this. Take note don 't let this slip away. He says that we must be ready to listen. He moves on and in verse nineteen he says he says, "Know this, my beloved brothers, and, and just stop for a minute he 's not speaking to a crowd of people that he hates he 's speaking to a crowd of people that he has deep compassionate love for people that he spends late nights crying for, people that he would give up his time for, his resource for, all of his energy for. He's speaking to his beloved brothers. Look around the room. Look at the person across the table from you right now. That's who James is writing this text to. One thing that as a pastor I can't say, and I've always been bad at saying, is, hey guys, you can't call me after 9 o'clock. Has anybody ever heard me say that? I can't. I love you too much. Are there times when I ignore your phone calls? Yes. (laughs) James is saying, you are my beloved brothers. I would give anything for you. That's why I want you to know this. He moves on through the text and he says, let every person be quick to hear. He wants us to be ready to listen. This is positioning yourself to be a listener. This is the difference between when you're having a conversation with somebody who's across the table from you, and you're kind of distracted. They're sitting here talking to you, and you're like, uh, and you're picking your nose, you your finger in your ear, you're, looking, you know, you're, you're distracted, right? There's a difference between that distracted person and then the person who is ready to to listen to you, who is intently focused on you, who makes eye contact with you, who sits there and lets you know. My, my stepmom, Marilyn, whenever you talk to her, you know she's listening. You know how you know she's listening? Because she does this. Oh, 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 yeah. Oh, mm-hmm, yep, oh, mm-hmm, all the time. To the extent that it almost gets annoying. It's like, I get it already, you're listening. <laughs> but she's listening. She's a great listener. And you know that when you talk to my stepmom, Marilyn, she's listening. James is saying that we need to be people of faith who are good listeners. He says we must be ready to listen. And he also advocates for restraining our speech. He says, restrain that speech. Pull it back a little bit. You don't have to be the one in the conversation always talking, always gabbing, always sharing your stories. You could listen a little bit to the other person He says this simply when he says, be quick to hear, be ready to listen, slow to speak. That doesn't mean I'm going to stand here and talk like this. It means, it means zip your lips for a minute and listen. God gave us two ears and one mouth. We should listen twice as much as we talk. James is saying, be a good listener. He also insinuates that continuous talking hinders listening. We've all had that conversation with somebody who just won't shut up. Right? They just won't shut up. And it's like, seriously? Standing here for 20 minutes listening to you run your mouth. Right? They're babbling about nothing. And you can't even stand listening to them because they never listen to you. James is saying... Learn to listen. Be marked by being a good listener. Towards the very end of this text, he says, he says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. He demands that we restrain our anger. He demands it. He says, don't be angry. Be slow to get angered. I, personally, because of my personality, am Quick to anger, okay. I got a short fuse. that will happen just like that. All right, doesn't take much either. And so I have learned to turn my head down, put my fingers, my hands behind my back, and walk away. Often, because if you see my face, you will be intimidated. Okay, and so I'm learning to restrain my anger. I know when it's happening. I'm not stupid. Okay, I'd like to act stupid sometimes. <laughs> I must restrain my anger. As I've walked with my mom over the last two weeks, there have been moments where she has been very demanding. She has been really stubborn and and, and at times difficult to get along with. And I've had to restrain my anger, and walk away. I've had to come back and remind her that I love her. She doesn't even remember what just happened ten minutes ago, anyways. Restrain your anger. Often this comes out husbands and wives and children in the home. You get ticked off because the trash wasn't taken out. You get, you get upset because the kids didn't clean their rooms. You get, you get upset because it seems like your wife didn't do anything all day. You get, you get mad because your husband comes home and gets lazy, wants to watch TV for a while. And then suddenly that anger comes out and it just gets really bad. It inhibits our ability to listen when we walk around in consistent anger. So we must be good listeners. Listen to this quote: "Ceaseless talking easily degenerates into fierce controversy." Ceaseless talking easily degenerates into fierce controversy. Okay, this is the old hens' club. Okay, not just. Don't get me wrong. I'm just illustration. This is the old hens' club around the table playing the cards. Oh, did you see that one guy? Did you? Did you, I mean, did you see what they, did you see how they dressed in church that Sunday morning? Oh my goodness. Okay, ceaseless talking degenerates easily into fierce controversy. Us young men do this too. Okay, we do. We do. And it needs not happen. What happens oftentimes in the workplace, can you believe that employer Treating us that way, that's ceaseless talking. Degenerating into controversy. Easily turns into backstabbing. Easily turns into blasphemy. Slander. All those things come out of that. Ceaseless talking. Don't be overly concerned with what you have to say. Nine times out of ten, what you have to say is motivated by your selfish, prideful, arrogant desires. You better check it before it comes out of your mouth before it does a ton of damage and wreckage in somebody else's life. And then your kids are having counseling because of you. Or your friends are giving you the the stiff shoulder because you haven't checked your speech. You haven't learned how to be a listener. All you do is rant, rave, and babble. Here's another quote. An argumentative attitude is not conducive to the humble reception of truth. An argumentative attitude is not conducive to the humble reception Reception of truth. You ever talk to that person? Every time you talk to them, they got to argue every fine little point with you, right? Just won't give it up. Just got their heels dug in, right? Heels dug in, and they're not moving. And they're just going to argue. They got to win at all costs, regardless of what happens to the relationship with you. They're going to win. They are right no matter what you say or do. My daughter bought me a shirt that says, I'm not arguing with you, I'm just explaining why I'm right. Hey, when you see me, like, get passionate up here, and some of you are like, oh my gosh, he's, he's talking to me. Yes, I am, but I'm talking to me first. I, I know all about this. I know what it means to be argumentative. God called me to be a preacher. I'm arguing for the truth of God's word this morning, literally. I'm not always right. And in humility, I have to admit that. God's word is always right, and I must be challenged by that. Must be good listeners, folks. So am I more concerned with winning the fight? Or do I desire to argue instead of humbly receiving the truth? Am I I just really got my heels dug in and it's like, you know what? Yeah, 95% of what you just said was true, but because 5% was wrong, I ain't listening to you. Like, that's an attitude that comes out in us argumentative types. Because we can't handle the truth, okay? Because we have to be right. And some of this flows through each and every one of us. And what happens is it causes us to be really terrible listeners. Our friends feel like we're just projects. Our spouses and our kids feel like they're just stepping stones to my great fame. People begin to feel like they're just getting used so that you can feel better. James says, be a good listener. So do I desire to argue instead of humbly receiving the truth? Am I known for self-controlled restraint in my anger and in my speech? It's a question to ask yourself. Is that how people know you? Do they know you as somebody who is self-controlled? Somebody who restrains his anger and restrains his speech? Be a good listener. Let's move on to verse 20. In verse 20, you'll see that James says that people of faith must not be angry people as if he didn't already say enough about it, okay? You start to get the picture here. In the first verse, he talks about it for a second. In the second verse, he comes back and, like, takes a baseball bat and then lays it, ding, right upside our head, okay? He's like, if you didn't get it the first time, I'm going to continue to dig. Because he knows that this whole anger topic is where we're going to get a little squirmy. I mean, you can just kind of feel, it's like, do I, I don't know if I want to really want to be here anymore. I, I want to go home, eat my lunch, watch some football, right? Because he, he's digging. He's digging at a wound and a scab that is an issue for most, if not many of us, sitting here and gathered here today. Anger is a big-time issue. And listen, I remember hearing a guy one time saying, I don't get angry. Oh, I never get angry. Really, so what happens, what happens when somebody, what, what happens when you get upset about something? Well I just I just I just be quiet. I, I just get quiet. Oh, okay. Okay. But that guy over there, he's angry because he's always yelling. That guy, he's always yelling, right? And it, like he's he's always saying stuff. And here's the deal the guy that shuts his mouth is just as angry as the guy that's up here yelling. All he did was just shove it all deep downside. It's no different. No different. We all have some issues with anger that God probably wants to deal with today. That's why we're in this text. So James knows that he kind of landed there in that first verse. And the second verse here, verse 20, he says that people of faith must not be angry. We, We must be people who are not angry. Look at what it says. For the anger of man does not produce the rightness or righteousness that God requires. He says, don't be angry. He says, God desires right living. He desires, it's what, it's what God wants for you and I is to live the way he wants us to live. He wants us to be righteous. We know that when Jesus died on the cross, he died for us because we are not righteous. We're not good, right? Okay? We're not right. Our heads are messed up. Our hearts are messed up. Because we live, we live in a world that is broken and marred by sin. We live in a trash dump. And we're trying to figure out how not to be a heap of trash too. Jesus then dies on the cross so that his righteousness, his rightness is imputed. Okay, everybody say imputed. Imputed to us, meaning that there's two envelopes. The one envelope is the, the paycheck that I get for my messed upness, my unrightness. And that envelope is a paycheck and that paycheck is death. Okay? I get to die because I have messed it up. I haven't lived righteously. I've missed the law of God. God has said, live this way. Do these things. And every single day, I've made a mess of it more. In this envelope over here is an envelope that says Jesus on it. It says Jesus. And Jesus is perfect. And what Jesus did is he took his paycheck, which is eternal life, righteousness, rightness, and he, he switched the contents of the envelope. Okay? Now the cool thing is he went a step further. He didn't just give us his rightness in our envelope and take our penalty into his envelope. He also gave us his reward. His reward is to live free. But here's what we do. We continue to go back. We continue to go back because it's what we know. It feels comfortable. It feels comfortable to come home and drop kick TVs out the door because I'm so pissed off, right? I did that once when I was much younger. I wasn't a pastor then. Just get that straight, okay? I'm not saying I don't have visions about it sometimes today, like, oh, I'm gonna do Okay, and I need to go for a walk, yes. Okay, I'll have my days. So what I'm saying is that God wants us to understand that, yes, Jesus has given us his rightness, therefore we should live right. Okay, We should not be living as people who are angry, who have this air of anger about them, who are unapproachable. He distinguishes between two things, man's anger and God's righteousness. So I hope you're still tracking with me. God does not want his people to be angry Street corner preaching, you're all going to hell. And that's not the picture of Christianity I see in the scriptures, okay? It's not that stupid so-called Baptist church in Kansas or wherever they are, okay, talking about how everybody's going to hell because, because we, we let gays and lesbians and blah, 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 and they're standing on the street corner saying God hates fags. That's anger. That's not the scriptures. Is God a God of wrath? Yes. He's also a God of love and forgiveness. And they all counterbalance each other. And what, what, what that church is doing is holding up God's wrath, anger at sin, and they're, they're making that foremost. And they're painting this picture of my God in heaven as an angry only God. And that's not true. My God is loving, and he's forgiving, and he's just. And yes, there's wrath mixed in with the midst of that. But that wrath was placed on my Savior, not on me, because of his love. I don't want to propagate a a hate, angry message, because that's not Christianity. That's not the preaching of Christ. That's not the gospel message. And and Paul says, if you hear another gospel message, if there could be another one, right? If you hear another one, let that person that preaches it to you be accursed. These people that preach these other quote-unquote gospel messages they're not good news gospel means good news they're filled full of anger we live in a day and time when anger anger is acceptable if you turn on the tv for for two hours you see angry motivated people to doing what they do most of your reality tv shows have this underlying theme of anger I'm gonna be motivated by it to do whatever I feel I should do based upon that angry feeling I have. And I'm and I'm self-justified because I was angry. It was okay for me to do this. Right? James says, don't be angry. Man's anger can never produce God's rightness. Because your anger is imperfect. There is something called. Holy, righteous anger, right? God's anger. God's anger is perfect anger. Yours and mine's anger is man's anger. It's imperfect. We don't get angry at the same things God gets angry at. Here's what we get angry about. We get angry because my personal rights were stepped on. We get angry because our personal feelings got hurt. We get angry because someone disrespected us. How selfish are we? To self-justify, the making it okay to get angry at somebody else because they hurt us? That's how deep and dark our sinfulness and selfishness goes. Now, if I'm looking outside and I see a little girl getting raped and I get angry, that's God's righteous anger. See, when it has to do with you personally, that's sin. And you better walk away. When I get mad at my wife and I feel this anger welling up inside because my laundry didn't get done. And this happened a week ago, right? Um. <laughs> hey, it was a long week. You know what I mean? It was, a, it was a long week. Who do I think I am? You know? I mean, I just, I felt it. I felt it. Just rage. Oh, she didn't clean my clothes. <laughs> <You> follow me? <laughs> you want to know when that was? Last Sunday at 10 o'clock in the morning, an hour before I came here and preached. Go back and listen to last week's message. You'll hear it all. Okay. There you go. The Lord used it. Glad he still uses my imperfections for his glory and hopefully our good. Man, I sat down on the edge of the bed and I just shook my head. I'm like, I don't even know how I'm going to preach today. I have no flipping clue. I need you to pray for me. And she's like, I'll pray for you. She should have been like, pray for you. smack. don't get mad at me, boy. And walk another, but she didn't do that. She prayed for me. I said, thank you. It's been a long week. Pastor named C.J. Mahaney says, you want to grow in grace? Start remembering that we're not in heaven yet. You expect perfection out of that person across the table from you? What What kind of perfection do you expect for yourself? You're not in heaven yet, and neither are they. So stop treating them like they should be. We can't act like we're in heaven. We can sure challenge and exhort and encourage each other to live this way. And Give some grace. Hey, it was a long day. Let me help you. An angry atmosphere doesn't provide healthy nourishment for the fruit of righteousness. An angry atmosphere. Think of it as though it's The the soil that you're trying to plant something in. An angry atmosphere. That kind of soil will not provide healthy nourishment for the fruit of righteousness. Your kid does something wrong. You get ticked. You want to yell, throw things, kick things, whatever. It's not going to produce the rightness that you want in that other person. Brokenness in you will. See, true godliness, true faith. When working with others and when, when, when seeing yourself, it's brokenness. It's saying, I don't have this right. And I know you don't either. God doesn't want this for your life. He doesn't want this for my life. He wants this. It's redirection. It's encouragement. James 3.18, turn a couple pages over for you. <clears throat> James 3.18 reveals this, that the, the righteousness is the fruit or produce of a peacemaker. Everybody say Peacemaker. Righteousness is the fruit or produce of a peacemaker. Fathers, especially, husbands, especially. If you're a father, you're a husband, or you've ever been a father, or ever been a husband. Let me just tell you: if your home is missing the rightness that you want, it's because you haven't been a peacemaker. God's word says it clearly. Your argument today is not with me. Your argument was with God Himself. If your home is not right, if it's not marked by righteousness, it's because you as the leader of your home, your wife, and your children, you have not been a peacemaker. You have been angry. You have been argumentative. You have been living your life in outright open rebellion and sin. And You need to go to the Lord and ask for His forgiveness in His direction and guidance. guidance. Look what this says, James 3.18. I'm going to start in 17. But the wisdom from above is first, pure. So if you think you're a wise person, wisdom should be first, pure. And then he moves on and he says, then, what's that word? Peaceable. Underline it. Circle it. Put squares around it. Highlight it. Draw arrows all over the page to that word. Okay, Make a light bulb go off for it when you open the Bible. Put a switch on the back of your Bible so you can flip it and it automatically opens to it so that you and I begin to understand. God is calling us to be peacemakers, peace Now, here's what that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean we stuff our anger. That doesn't mean we get passive and walk away and go, well, well they're wrong. i like just go mope in the corner about it and then explode later because I've had too much. It means we realize that we are at peace with our Father in Heaven because of what Jesus did. And since we are at peace with Him because of that, no longer at war, then Jesus can also help me quit being at war with my family and my friends and my church family and my employer and my coworkers. I don't have to be at war. I can be at peace because Jesus has given me peace. It's a fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace. Right? We forget that one really easily. You know why? You know why we forget that one? It's because we're always looking at everybody else. Well, why are you at war with me? Like, why are you always going to pick a fight with me? Caleb, Caleb's like, I've never picked a fight with this guy. You beat the crap out of me. No, he probably hurt me, okay? Seriously, Caleb would hurt me. He's young, buff. That's what we do. We get our eyes all over everybody else. It's their fault. They're picking a fight with me. No. Stupid. <laughs> You're the one doing it. Wake up. Follow me. I only know this because I've walked this. And I still walk it. Like every single day. I mean, I, there was a time I was sitting up here on stage, okay? We're playing the drum, and something happened with the tech area, and it got under my skin quick. Okay? It got under my skin quick. And I said something really dumb, and Tanner later was like, thanks a lot, Joe. Like, thanks for letting your anger get out of control. I'm like, oh, really? I did it again. All right, Tanner, I'm sorry. I mean, what I could have said was, well, was your stupid fault, man. You made the mistake with the PowerPoint. Right, Tanner? I could have said that. I, I didn't say that. It was my fault. I can't blame my stupid actions on somebody else's mistakes. This is what we do all the time. This is what we do all the time. Blame others, shift it. Go back to Adam and Eve for a minute, right? Adam and Eve, they're standing in the garden, both naked. Man, what a great place to be. <laughs> yes! Okay, so they're both naked, right? This is before the fall, before sin comes in. Right? tracking. Get those pictures out of your mind. Stop it. So they're standing in the garden. They're naked. I'll <laughs> just keep going there. And this little snake, snake, like whenever I think about the snake in the garden, I think of, I think of an Italian mob boss. We're going to get that snake. We're going to cut his throat. Capisce? Ah, yes, get the snake. Okay. And, and so the snake comes out, and he's talking to Eve, and he's like, Hey, yo, Eve, come over here, sexy. I mean, that's what's happening, really. Okay? He's like, he's luring her over, and she's like, Oh, look at the snake. Hey, baby. Okay, okay, I, I'm embellishing, obviously. But she goes over and, and he talks to her into eating this fruit that they clearly know they're not supposed to do. Clear. People of faith should not eat this fruit. Should not do it. Don't drink that. Don't sleep with that person. Really clear, simple instruction, right? She's heard it. What does she do? Does exactly the opposite of what she's supposed to do. Right after God said, don't do it! Ah! Then Adam, where's Adam at? At home watching TV. No, he's right next to her. He's like, uh, well, what are you doing? <laughs> oh, well, you know, she's wrong. <laughs> I'm okay because I'm not doing anything wrong. you know. Right. And then she's like, hey, yo, Adam, you want some? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, baby. And he gets the apple and eats it with her. And then God comes down, right? God comes down. Okay? And you can hear, you can hear, you know God's there. Okay? You know God's there because you've been walking through the garden with him. You're used to his presence. Something has changed. Suddenly now you're ashamed because what you just did was wrong. Man, it felt good in the moment. <laughs> it was good stuff, right? And then right afterwards, it ain't so good anymore, is it? Not so good anymore. All the way from anger to any other sin that we've talked about. God walks in and he's like, "And hey, where are you guys at? Adam jumps up out of the bushes. Hey, yo, yo, she messed it up, dude. She messed it up, okay? Wasn't me. Wasn't me. I'm vindicated. The woman that you got, you know, it's your fault, God. It's your fault. You gave her to me. Like, you did. Go back and read the text. This is what he says, seriously. It's my embellishment, obviously, with a little gangster style and a little street talk. I mean, that's what he does. It's what we do. We've been doing it ever since then. It's her fault. It's his fault their fault they made me i got angry because of them so he says in verse 17 18 right but the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable gentle oh like fluffy kitties gentle fluffy kitties gentle okay we have a cat in our house now <coughs> my mom had this cat's name is monkey cat monkey cat. <laughs> I, I'm not even going to go there. But he's big, and he's black, and he's fluffy. And he's furry, and he's gentle, and I like to pet him, okay? <laughs> <laughs> I, I know that if you go back and you listen to the last three weeks of message, you're going to be like, this guy's all crack, okay? He's, he's so <laughs> mentally unstable. probably, probably. <laughs> Let's pray we're we're faithful to the text here. Uh, Gentle. Men, are you gentle with your wives? Are you gentle with your kids? Are you gentle with your friends? Are you gentle with your coworkers? Are you gentle with your bosses? Are you gentle? Can you sit down and be approachable by the littlest, smallest, non-threatening person? I'll tell you that over the years of my struggle with anger, there have been seasons when I know that my children were afraid to approach me. Because I've been stomping around the house, fuming. And I don't want my kids to be afraid of me. I don't want people to be afraid to come to me. God says, don't be angry people. Be gentle. Open to reason, not argumentative. Meaning that you're going to go, oh, you know what? I never thought of that. Let me think about that for a little bit. That's called open to reason. Okay? Argumentative is just the opposite. Oh, you're going to point that out in my life? Well, let me just tell you, sister. Okay, that's argumentative. Yeah. Did you see what they did to me? I mean, that's argumentative. Rather than saying, hey, you know what? Let me, let me give that some thought. You're pro- that's humility. Being humble. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial instead of taking everything personal. You know what? This is pretty impartial. I'll tell you, sometimes I'm personally offended by some things, but I get over it fairly quick. I'm not going to walk around with a bunch of personal hurts towards other people. I will eat my life up. I'm not about to give somebody else that power. No way. God set me free from that. Impartial and sincere, meaning be real don't be fake. I'll put on that face on Sunday mornings. Don't go there. And then he says in verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness. This happens in the fall time, after something gets planned in the springtime. A harvest, plants will come up out of the ground, and those plants will say righteousness on the stalk, on the stem. There'll be righteousness that comes out of you living this way. I just challenge every one of us to commit verses uh, 17 and 18 of chapter 3 to memory. Man, tattoo it on your arm if you want to. Stick it on your rear view mirror. Put it on your dash. Stick it on the front door of your home so that when you come home, the first thing you read is that passage of Scripture and you go, when I walk in my home with my wife or my husband and my children or my friends or my roommates, I'm going to start acting this way. Because God says we should not be angry people. The produce of righteousness it says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Peace isn't just something that just comes your way. You've got to make it happen. You've got to plant it. You've got to work for it. Your works do not earn your salvation, but your works prove that you are saved and that Jesus is at work in your heart. So, ask yourself these questions. Is there an atmosphere of anger surrounding me? Am I concerned with right living for me? Or am I just angry about everybody else's wrong living? You know? I got this whole list of consequences for everyone around me. Not for myself. I'm going to hold everybody else accountable. But for me, you got nothing on me. I'm self-protecting myself, you know. So am I concerned about me Living the way God has called me to live? Or am I concerned about making everyone else live the way they're supposed to live? Look, if God hasn't called you to a ministry of shepherding and oversight, as a father, a husband, a pastor, those types of ministry positions, it may not be your place to be telling others how they must live. It might just be on you to humility humilatively live out your life the way God has called you to. Otherwise, we stand, we stand guilty of being Pharisees. So, am I concerned with right living for me? Or am I just angry about everybody else's wrong living? Is it really God's rightness that I'm concerned about? Or am I just personally offended and pissed off because all this stuff happened to poor, pitiful me? go back to chapter 1. Look at verse 21. I'll I'll ask uh, Danny and Kayla to come on forward. I'm going to wrap this up. Get us out of here. On time. We don't get done until 12.45 every week. That's on time. Verse 21. James says that people of faith must be people of purity. Got to be people of purity. Got to be people that live holy. That live Pure. Our lifestyle should be marked by purity. He says, since you must be a person of faith who is good at listening, okay? since you're a person of faith who should be good at listening and who should not be characterized by an atmosphere of anger, and you, then you should be a person of purity. And here's, here's how you stay pure. Okay? He answers the question. He says, get rid of it, throw it off, take it off. Put it away. All the filthy, wicked things in your life. Get rid of them. Quit holding on to it like it's going to make you feel better. Because all it's going to bring is death for you. Verse 21, he says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to To save your souls. Take off your morally filthy clothing. Take it off. Get rid of it. He says that by doing this, by by taking off these filthy, wicked things in your life, whatever it may be, maybe for you it's pornography on the internet late at night. Maybe for you it's the relationship with that one girl. Maybe for you it's, it's the bottle. Maybe for you it's some drug. Maybe for you, it's just your thought life. Maybe for you, it's the way you come home at night. Whatever it is that is morally against what God has asked you to do, take it off and throw it away. You don't get in the shower with your dirty clothes on. Take the dirty clothes off and then jump in the shower of God's grace. Let me say that again. Take your dirty, sinful clothes off and then jump in the shower of God's grace and let him cleanse you. Let him help you become a person who is all about purity and cleanliness and holy, right living. He says, James is saying that taking off your dirty clothes prepares you to be cleaned and purified. We can't live unholy, dirty lives. We've got to dig in, get our eyes back on ourselves, and quit taking everybody else's clothes off and shoving them in the shower. Get in there, get fixed. Let God fix you. Let him fix you. I can't say it more passionately than I'm saying it now. Catch your eyes on you. Let him fix you and those around you will follow. Got to be people of purity. Listen to this. Humbly receiving is a sign of strength. That's where Adam and Eve were at when they were in the garden. Naked. Naked. Naked in the garden, humble, transparent, ready to receive. That's where you and I need to be. That's a sign of strength. Arrogant independence. I'm going to do this myself. I don't need you. I got it all figured out. I want to do this on my own. That's arrogant independence. It's a sign of weakness. It's a sign of weakness. It's called hiding under fig leaves promotes more sin in your life so we've got to be people of purity are my thoughts and my attitudes and my actions are they pure and are they clean ask yourself that are they pure and are they clean in the way i'm talking and conversing with this person through text message or or telephone or on the front porch is it clean are my words pure do they uplift the lord Get it together, folks, with me. Follow me to this place. That's what James is saying. He's saying, don't live in that filthy, disgusting place anymore. God won you out of that by giving His Son on a cross. Why would you ever want to go back to that? Don't go back. For two weeks in a row, it's the same message. Don't go back. He took it away. So am I consistently being prepared to be cleaned and purified? And I know some of you are out there and you're saying, you know what, I hear all this. I kind of get some of it. But, but how do I do this, right? How do I become a good listener? How do I, how do I restrain my anger? How do I pursue purity? I, I, I get some of it, but I, I, I'm having a hard time putting this plan together to make this happen. How do I do it? And you know what, to some extent, let me just say this, to some extent, the Christian life is all about you and I giving up our control. And giving it to Jesus and saying, Jesus, i got to spend time with you daily. I need you to get your word in my heart daily. Because there's an extent where you can't do this. And he, he's doing it. Then there's this other part. In the end of verse 21, look back at verse 21. James says this. James says we must receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. You need God's word to be planted deep within your heart. You say, I don't like to read that much. Yes, you do. Satan has deceived you into thinking that. You'll sit there on TV and read that all night long. I know dudes that tell me they don't like to read, but they got all the stats about football memorized. How'd they do that? They read it on a TV screen. Satan has deceived some of us into believing we don't like to read. There are many different ways to implant God's word into your heart. You're struggling with sin in your life, not able to to listen, walking around angry, pissed off, bitter at the whole world. It's because God's word is not being implanted into your heart. You're implanting things that are bringing up fruit and produce and plants in your life that are not right. He specifically breaks this down in verse 21. Look back at it. Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. We do what we've heard by receiving, number one. We do what we've heard by being humble, number two. We do what we've heard by implanting the word of God, number three. We do what we've heard by being saved. you got to work out your salvation on a daily basis. If you're here, you've never trusted in Christ for your salvation. You say, you know, I've, I've heard a few good messages. I've sat in a few pretty good churches. I've seen a few, a few good worship songs. That doesn't save you. Only your trust in Christ. Only you trust in Him. And His work on the cross will save you. And out of that salvation comes actions and activity and lifestyle. Glorifies and honors Him. We do what we've heard by receiving. We do what we've heard by being humble. We do what we've heard by implanting the Word of God. We do what we've heard by being saved. Place your faith and your trust in Him. He will change your life. He will give you a new heart. It won't be easy, it'll be hard, and it should be. Because the cross is a picture of horror and difficulty, not easy street. Trust in Him. Are you receiving? Are you humble? Are you implanting the word? Are you working out your salvation with fear and trembling? We're going to end where we began this morning. If you'd stand with me. We began here. You might have missed it the first time around. I pray that you catch it the second time. James is saying this to you and I. God is really saying this through James. He says, hear this And commit this to memory. My loved ones, I love you. I want you to hear this. I want you to get this. Take note of this. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, my loved ones, so that you may never forget. Don't forget. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mind. But instead, always know that your anger will not produce the rightness that God desires in you. Don't be angry with yourself. Don't be angry with others. Just kneel before the cross and let Jesus do his work. And please, after you've heard this, do this. Make these actions a part of your daily lifestyle so that you will be a hearer, somebody who hears and who does what is requested of you. God is requesting you to live a certain way based upon what you've heard this morning. He says, become a quick listener who is slow to speak and a slowly angered person who puts away filthy and wicked living by receiving the implanting of the word that can save your soul. Simply put, God is saying these three things. He's saying, be a good listener because I'm a great listener. I'm here. I'm listening. You can bring your request to me. You can bring your hurt to me. You can bring your pain to me. You can bring everything you have to me, and I will hear you. And I want you to be the same as I am. God is saying, don't be angry, for I am not an angry God. I'm a loving and a just and a forgiving God. I'm a sacrificial God. I am a servant God. My anger can be kindled, but it's backed up by love and forgiveness. Don't be an angry, bitter person. The last thing God is saying to us is this. Live a pure lifestyle Live a holy life because God is holy. God is saying, be holy as I am holy. Be just like me. Don't let your life be characterized by filthiness and wickedness and terrible speech and bad relationships. Let it be marked and characterized by the holiness that I am and that I am placing in you by the power of my spirit. Would you bow with me? Father, we thank you for your word. God, we're blessed by your presence this morning. God, I pray that as we turn to you in worship over the next few minutes, God, that you, you would do work in people's hearts. God, that you would cause us to humble ourselves before you and to submit to you and your leadership in our lives. God, I pray that you would help some of us come to the foot of your cross and get it all out to you. You are listening to an audio message from The Well, a church in Hastings, Nebraska that seeks to be relevant, relational, and real. For more information, visit www.TheWellHastings.com.